Hi, I'm Jeffrey, and welcome back to Nightfalls. Come, settle in for tonight's calming meditation and soothing bedtime story. As always, don't worry if you fall asleep before the end. You can drift off whenever you're ready. Come. Get settled beside the fire. And let me tell you of historian Alma Esperanza's first encounter with an archaeological find just as shrouded in Arthurian legend as the land from which it was excavated. Alma's adventure leaves me rather curious as to what riches and relics of the past might be buried beneath the soil in nightfalls. Before we begin, here's a quick word from our valued sponsors who make this free content possible. Sephora stores are everywhere you are, so just pop in when you need a brown lip to match your 90s playlist, a confidence boost before your interview, or a last-minute gift for mom's birthday. There's always a Sephora near you. Just pop in. Use our store locator to find your local Sephora or Sephora at Kohl's. For the best way to fall asleep with Nightfalls, you can now become a premium supporter. Enjoy the entire back catalogue of Nightfalls classics, all with a rich, immersive, and totally ad-free experience. If you love falling asleep to Nightfalls, Nightfalls Premium will elevate your sleep while helping to support myself and the team. We love creating Nightfalls, but without supporters, it wouldn't be possible. Join Nightfalls Premium today in just two taps on both Apple Podcasts or via the Supercast link found in the show notes for all other podcast players. Your sleep will thank you for it, and so will I. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So, you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall, rock-climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So, whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Before we begin tonight's tale, let's take a moment to get settled. After another long day, grant yourself a moment alone with your thoughts as you come to a comfortable position and let your eyes drift closed. 
When you're feeling ready, draw a deep breath in and sigh out in relief. There is nothing and no one to disturb or distract you. All there is for you to do is lie back and listen into your body as your breath washes in and out. In a moment, I invite you to take a little time to think and feel through anything still crowding and cluttering up the corners of your mind. Allow those thoughts the space and attention they've been demanding all day, just briefly, safe in the knowledge that this is your way of putting those worries to rest. Breathe in and allow the thoughts you have pushed to the back of your mind the space to breathe with you. As you exhale, perhaps you find that you can finally release those thoughts now that you've paid heed to them. Breathe in once more, creating a little more space within you to think and feel into. As you exhale, feel any last lingering thoughts and feelings of the day draining from your body on the tide of your breath. There's no longer any need for them to take up space within you. You have already acknowledged them. Tonight, with every long, lazy breath you take, you are restoring your inner peace. Now, if you're feeling ready, Alma's adventure can begin. It was a quiet night in the museum. There were no new exhibits to set up, no new inventory to catalogue, and not much in the way of exciting discoveries as of late either. As Alma poured over a book about the Mesozoic era and pressed her hands across her face, willing herself to stay awake, she yawned with boredom. Her trusty assistant, Winston, walked into the office at that moment, dashing to the rescue with a cup of tea in hand. She could always rely on Winston to push her through when the nights were long and monotonous. Here you go, Alma, Winston said, placing a cup of chamomile tea on her desk. Are you reading anything interesting? He asked. Alma sat back in her chair and pushed her glasses up 
onto the top of her head. She rubbed her sleepy eyes and picked up the cup of chamomile tea. Nothing of particular interest, she replied, before taking a sip of the hot drink. There hadn't been anything of particular interest at the museum for quite a while now. It often was this way. The museum would go through peaks of new exciting artifacts coming through their doors and troughs where nothing much was happening. It felt like it had been months since Alma had rifled through a collection of artifacts of note. She closed her eyes and let her head fall back. Night shifts could be brutal. They were all well and good when they had plenty to be cracking on with, but tonight was a particular slog. All of a sudden, the office phone began to ring. Alma and Winston looked at each other with intrigue. It was very rare that they received a phone call so late at night. Winston picked up the phone. Hello? He spoke into the receiver. Alma watched as Winston listened to the caller on the other end. All that she could hear was the muffled sound of an animated voice. But Winston's face gave a suggestion of what was being relayed to him. His eyes lit up with a fire that Alma recognized all too well. It appeared that the caller had something very interesting to say. Seemingly enthralled and stumbling over his words, Winston replied, Yes, that certainly sounds of interest to us. I will conduct a small team to visit the site as soon as possible. Thank you. With that, he hung up the phone and he turned to Alma with an eager expression on his face. Alma laughed with drowsy abandon. You look like the cat that got the cream. Who was it? What did they say? She asked. Winston pulled up his chair close to Alma's desk and leant forward conspiratorially and replied, that was an excavator from an archaeological dig in South Wales. They've discovered a number of medieval items buried beneath the hills of Kalian. Alma sat upright in her chair. Kalian, she repeated with intrigue. Winston nodded his head and pushed his spectacles up the bridge of his nose as he continued. Does the name sound familiar? Well... It should, because Kalian is rumoured to be. Alma cut him straight off and burst out. Kalian is rumoured to be where the kingdom of Camelot was. Alma and Winston looked at each other with joint anticipation. Camelot was the fabled location where King Arthur held court, along with his famous round table of knights, back in the fifth or 6th century. 
While there is no empirical evidence that King Arthur nor the Kingdom of Camelot ever existed, the legend wasn't to be completely dismissed. After all, what is human history but a selection of stories, passed on anecdotes and information? The legend of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table had been around since 594 AD. Historians have narrowed the former location of Camelot down to four possible places. Cadbury Castle in Somerset, Tintagel in Cornwall, Winchester in Hampshire, and Killeen in South Wales. All four locations hold their claims to Camelot. However, these claims are unsubstantiated and based mainly on writings in literature and folklore. Tintagel claims to be the birthplace of Arthur. Winchester was cited as the legendary Camelot by Thomas Mallory's tales in the 15th century, and an archaeological excavation in Somerset revealed a substantial building that could have been a great hall used by King Arthur. Meanwhile, a lot of the tales of King Arthur appear to be rooted in Welsh folklore. The earliest reference to King Arthur dates back to a Welsh poem in 594 AD. Arthur and Camelot are also mentioned in 11 stories collated from early medieval Welsh manuscripts. So, an excavation in Caleon could have dug up some very interesting information indeed. Alma and Winston grinned at each other, and Alma felt a new burst of energy bubble up inside her. Winston relayed that several artifacts had been uncovered that required researching and placing into the right hands. The woman on the phone wondered if the British Museum might like to take a look at them. Of course, the British Museum would be a perfect place for the artifacts to be, and Alma and Winston would delight in inspecting them and discovering their origin. But Almer identified one problem. They wouldn't be the only people interested in the items. When discoveries like this are made, everybody wants their piece of the pie. While there would be several museums vying for the prize, there would also, likely, be some unsavory characters lurking around. Almer and Winston would have to act fast. Without a moment to lose, Elmer and Winston made arrangements to travel up to South Wales the very next day. Winston booked their train tickets, and Alma prepared everything that they would need, including a book all about the legend of King Arthur. She didn't want to get ahead of herself, but something about the discoveries on this ancient site suggested to her that they were about to uncover something groundbreaking. The next day, as they rode the train to Wales, Alma buried her head in her book. 
Winston glanced over at Alma, beavering away with her work, while he munched on a packet of salt and vinegar crisps. He crumpled up the packet in his hands and interrupted Alma's reading. Do you think we'll find anything there that's special? He questioned eagerly. Alma broke away from her book briefly to reply. There will definitely be plenty of things that are special. All of our history is special. But if you mean, do I think we'll find anything that points to King Arthur? Then, quite possibly, yes. Just as suddenly as she had looked away from her book, she turned back to it and continued to study. Winston knew better than to pester Alma while she was deep in her research, so he popped his headphones into his ears and listened to his music for the rest of the train journey. As the train carriage chugged along, they watched out of the window as the concrete jungle of London faded away and, eventually, countryside fields decorated their view instead. Along with the rural views that Wales brought came its infamous rain. Alma and Winston stepped out of the train carriage and onto the platform, only to be met by a cold wind that broke through their thin jacket layers. I don't think I quite dressed for the occasion, Winston shivered, attempting to pull his tweed jacket tighter around his body. But, prepared as ever, Alma set her backpack down on the platform floor and pulled out two pocket-sized waterproof anoraks. She kept the black one to herself and handed the bright yellow coat to Winston. As Alma unzipped the waterproof coat from its little bag and started to slip it over her head, Winston looked on in disbelief. Winston was always dressed to impress, and the idea of wearing such garish clothing baffled him. I can't wear this, Winston chuntered, childishly, folding his arms across his chest. Alma smirked and picked her backpack back up, now dressed in the practical black raincoat. Suit yourself, she sniggered, but don't complain to me when you're stood in the middle of a wet, muddy field and your lovely blazer is dripping wet through. She started walking off into the train station building, and Winston faltered. He paused to protest, then stopped himself looked at the yellow coat in his hand, looked back at the pouring rain beyond the shelter of the train platform, and let out a great sigh. The things I do for you, Alma, Winston muttered, grumpily, unzipping the yellow coat and throwing it over his head. Alma and Winston jumped in a taxi and drove out to the middle of the countryside where the site had been set up. They pulled up on the side of a road and could see, far off in the distance, a couple of large tents 
and a smattering of people walking around, carrying a number of digging instruments and cameras. They would have to walk across the field to reach the site. Luckily, Alma had dressed for the occasion and was wearing her big black boots, so she set out, stomping across the sodden grass without a care. Winston winced as he placed his beautifully polished brown brogues into the mud with a big squelch. He bit his lip and took a deep breath. He would know to dress more appropriately next time. Reaching the dig site, Alma was met by a tall man in a flat cap and green gilet. He carried a camera in his hand, and he looked at Alma with irritation. Excuse me, miss, this is a closed site, he called out to her through the rain with a thick Welsh accent. I know, Alma replied confidently. I'm from the British Museum. My name is Alma Esperanza, and I've been sent from the Department of Collection Care to inspect your findings here. The man assessed Alma, clearly weighing up whether to believe her or not. No doubt he didn't want the discovered artifacts falling into the wrong hands, so he wanted to be sure that she was here with good intentions. She understood his cautiousness. Ah, Alma Esperanza, it is wonderful to see you. She heard a warm female voice come from behind. Alma turned around to see a woman with tight, curly blonde hair pushing her head through the doors of the tent nearby. Come, come, the woman ushered her over. Come in here, where it's dry. I have something to show you. Alma trudged over to the opening of the tent and Winston followed behind, only just about catching up with Alma. His shiny shoes were now coated in fresh mud, as were the bottom half of his checkered trousers. They stepped inside to see a handful of archaeologists and historians, all pottering around the tent. The tent was full of boxes of technological equipment, practical tools and books. In the centre of the tent was a large pop-up table that had a large piece of top laid across it, covered with artefacts. Some were still coated in mud, while others had already been cleaned to be inspected properly. The woman with the curly hair came over to Alma and held out her hand in greeting. Alma Esperanza, it's a pleasure to meet you. My name is Julie. I'm the head archaeologist here on the site. Alma shook Julie's hand and introduced her assistant, Winston, too. Julie shook his hand and replied with an air of recognition. Ah, yes, I believe we spoke on the phone. Julie filled Alma and Winston in on the progress that the team had been making over the past couple of weeks. Sometimes these digs could pull up nothing much except for general debris and a whole lot of soil. 
but the team had just, yesterday, found some ancient items that they thought might be of interest. Julie led them over to the table and passed them both a pair of gloves each. She pointed out the relics that they had dug up and gave them permission to take a closer look. Almer inspected the table's contents. There wasn't much that was out of the ordinary. It was mainly a lot of medieval silverware and crockery. But one particular item stood out and instantly caught her eye. Laid across the length of the table was a sword. The sword had been worn away with time and was now a brown, rotting colour. However, it likely once sparkled with shiny silver and an iron handle. Alma could make out several Celtic symbols carved into the grip and the cross guard, and a space for a large stone of some variety laid in the centre of the pommel, right at the top of the handle. The gemstone had probably been stolen or removed hundreds or thousands of years ago. Carefully, she placed her hands underneath the grip and the lower edge of the sword and lifted it up slightly to inspect it closer. The sword was heavy, as were most swords used for battle. They had to be heavy and made out of strong metals in order to be able to make any sort of impact on the battlefield. Alma could clearly see that this was not a commoner sword, but had belonged to somebody of power. When she looked closer, she could see several holes in the handle, missing their gemstones. Only somebody of high power and wealth would be able to afford a sword that could house so many precious stones. This is a remarkable sword, Alma commented as she held it in her hands. As she held the ancient relic, she felt powerful and strong, like she was channeling the strength of the warrior who had once carried it on their belt. Winston couldn't take his eyes off the impressive sword, and when Julie wasn't listening, he leant forward to Alma and whispered in her ear, Alma, do you think this sword could be Excalibur? Alma didn't know for sure. In a way, there was no real way to prove it, as the legendary sword Excalibur was a legend with no concrete proof of its existence, just like the story of King Arthur. There was no proof that it had ever existed, and there were no trustworthy images of it to compare this sword to. However, if there was a King Arthur and Camelot, and they had indeed been in Caelian, then this sword could have very well belonged to the leader himself. Julie wandered back over to the table to check how they were getting on. 
Alma placed the sword back down and confirmed that the artifacts certainly were of interest and that she would like to see how the rest of the archaeological dig was coming along. Leaving the sword behind on the table, they ventured back outside into the rain, much to Winston's dismay. As Julie led the way over to where the others were actively working, Alma caught sight of a couple of odd-looking men. They looked out of place, just like Winston in his impractical suit. But these men were a bit more prepared, as they had at least worn their boots for the occasion and held a large black umbrella over their heads. One man carried a briefcase and was staring at the tent, whilst the other man was keenly observing where the archaeologists were digging. Something didn't feel right to Alma. As Alma approached the digging site, she turned to Julie and quietly asked, Who are those men over there? Julie glanced over at the men and sniffed with disdain. She responded, They are what I like to call poachers, collectors, as they claim, collectors of historical artifacts. They claim to adore history and always offer a pretty penny to purchase anything of interest that we find. But it is totally unethical. The problem is that there are plenty who sell to these poachers. They make a cut of the sale and walk away with thousands of pounds in their pocket. Then the precious artifacts either sit on a box in a billionaire's mansion or they're sold on the black market. That's why I called you, Elma. I'm hoping that you can take the artifacts off my hands and put the items in the British Museum where they belong. Alma and Winston glared at the mystery men across the way. No doubt these men would be interested in buying the sword, but Alma and Winston couldn't let that happen. In the suitcase that one of the men held, there was surely thousands of pounds in cash, ready to offer up to whoever was the most easily swayed in the team. Winston piped up, Concerned about the poachers nearby, Julie, where will the artifacts go next? Surely you won't leave them in the tent overnight. Julie assured Winston that the sword and the other artifacts would be carefully transported to a nearby facility, where they would be stored and guarded overnight. Then, the next day, they would technically be available for purchase. Julie predicted that Almer and Winston would have to act fast to beat the poachers to the sword. When Alma and Winston left the site later that afternoon, they watched the historical artifacts be driven away to the local mystery facility. Julie would inform them in the morning of the facility's whereabouts, and then Alma and Winston would be able to apply for rights to the sword. That is, so long as the poachers didn't make it there first. 
Elmer and Winston reached their hotel and prepared to settle in for an early night. They wanted to be up nice and early the next day so as not to waste any time. While Alma liaised with the team at the British Museum for the funds to acquire the sword and other artefacts, Winston gazed out of the window with a tumbler of whiskey in his hand. All of a sudden, Winston squinted his eyes and looked further out into the dark night. Alma, he whispered, those men we saw are staying here at the motel. I can see them getting out of their car now. Alma dashed over to Winston's side and gazed out of the window. Indeed, the two men that they had seen at the site were walking across the parking lot, carrying their ominous briefcase and making their way to the entrance. Alma pursed her lips in annoyance. The men would be able to follow Alma and Winston to the facility in the morning if they got wind of the location before them. This was definitely going to be a race against time to acquire the sword. How annoying, Alma muttered before returning to her work. But what can we do? We can only wait for the morning to see what will be. Winston remained silent and continued to gaze out of the window. He appeared lost in thought and his brow was furrowed in a concerned expression. After a few minutes, Winston threw the last of his whiskey down his throat and placed the tumbler on the windowsill as he moved to grab his jacket. Alma looked up to see him move towards the door. Where are you going? she asked. Winston replied nonchalantly. I'm just going for a walk. Alma didn't question it. It had been a rough day for Winston, and she assumed that he needed a bit of time to clear his head before another busy day tomorrow. Winston returned half an hour later from his walk and climbed straight into his bed. Alma wasn't too far behind as she finished off all the work that she could do and then settled herself into her bed, setting her alarm as she did. Alma awoke at 6am the following morning, but she didn't receive a call from Julie until just after 9 o'clock. Alma and Winston called for a taxi immediately and drove as fast as they could to the facility. As their taxi was pulling away, they saw the poachers emerging from their motel room door and make their way across the parking lot towards their vehicle. They wouldn't be far behind. Upon their arrival at the protected facility, Alma set off straight into business mode, negotiating with Julie and her team for acquisition of the artefacts. Julie was keen to sell them to the British Museum. However, 
Some of the team wanted to wait until they had received a counter-offer from the mystery men. They all waited for half an hour for the men to arrive, but there was no sign of them. The burly Welshman that Alma had met the previous day walked off to make a call, while Julie stated that if they had not heard from the mystery men within an hour of the British Museum's offer, then they would waive their right to the sale, and they would proceed with Alma. The Welsh cameraman returned after a few minutes with a face as purple as beetroot. He explained in a flustered manner that the men would not be there for a while as they were encountering some car troubles. It seemed that their tyres had been tampered with overnight and that they were having to wait for a recovery van to visit them and replace their tyres. Alma side-eyed Winston, but he ignored her and continued to stare straight in front of him without a hint of expression on his face. She smirked knowingly. Julie and the rest of the team were no longer willing to wait for the men to sort their car problems out and decided to proceed with the British Museum's offer. By the middle of the afternoon, the arrangements had been made and Winston had booked a specialist taxi firm to transport himself and Alma, along with the sword and other artefacts, back to London. As they loaded the magnificent ancient sword into the boot of the taxi, Alma patted Winston on the back and gave his shoulder a squeeze. The museum was the place where the sword belonged, not hanging up on display in somebody's private home. Now, millions of people would be able to admire the sword in the British Museum's exhibits, and it would provide evidence for historians that King Arthur and Camelot may have, indeed, been real. Weeks later, the sword was placed on display in a protective glass box, with the sign below it announcing it as King Arthur's Sword. Alma stood in front of the display case and proudly admired the sword. It had been polished up and looked much more like it would have back in King Arthur's time. Gemstones had been added to the gaping holes to return the sword to its original glory so that everyone could appreciate the sword known as Excalibur the incredible piece of history that it was Alma looked on and became lost in thought they still didn't have concrete conclusions for the existence of Arthur and Camelot but it was a big part of British history that she didn't want to downplay. Everyone had heard of the tale, and why not acknowledge that it could have once been a reality? Did this discovery prove that Camelot was, in fact, in Caerleon, in South Wales, 
Not exactly. Many kingdoms of Camelot could have existed, with King Arthur moving around and lending the name of Camelot to wherever he settled. But the sword certainly gave a huge clue into the existence of King Arthur and his knights. After centuries of debate as to whether the famed figure was real or not. And to Elma, that was all the proof that she needed. <laughs>